You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and we have another guest special, um, it's Dennis Muir, Chief Executive, Jamie Swinney. How, welcome along, Jamie. Thanks for coming along. How are you? Evening, John. Thank you for the invite to come on. No, it's our, it's our pleasure. We like to cover um, a, a range of Scottish football, whether it's from the Premier League or, um, or League Two or even beyond that. It's um, it's our pleasure. So, um, yeah, it's obviously um, challenging t- times at the moment. But before we come on to that, um, just how, how did you um, land the position um, of Chief Executive at Stenshmere? What was the background that got you up there? So I'll do my best to summarise this as quickly as I can. When I was at, at university, I started my, my coaching journey, so to speak. I, I decided that I wanted to coach and I really found that I enjoyed working with young people, enjoyed trying to develop and, and support young people to become better. And that was my, you know, my way, if you like, of keeping involved in football in, in some way. You know, once you know, you, you realise for me, I realised a long time ago I was going to be a professional player. You know, when I was much younger, so it was a chance to stay involved in football and coaching was was something I found um, to be a, a real passion. So I was I was going through my, my coaching badge with the Scottish FA. I was doing lots of different coaching um, at various places and and, and different uh, opportunities. And I was working, when I finished university, I was working in Glasgow, with Glasgow uh, Culture and Sport. And I got the opportunity to then, at that point, take the Stenish Mule Under 11 Academy team. I just finished doing my children's level four. I just found it a, you know, a really exciting opportunity. Initially, I just thought, that's fantastic. You know, get to work with young, talented players, get to go and, and, and coach these young players, um, you know, at places like Lennox Town and Murray Park and, and, and go around the whole country again, watching the best young Scottish players. I thought, this is this is great. So that was my first involvement of uh, of a first time at Stanisbury Football Club in terms of in, in any kind of role. And then I was given the chance to be the head of community football. So that was um, around about 12 years ago now, the chance to develop the, the community football programme. And it just, I left my job in Glasgow in a heartbeat. The job in Glasgow was good at culture and sport. I did enjoy it, but this was a football role. It was a chance to work in football. So that was that was my passion. It always will be my passion. And therefore, straight away, you know, that was me. Almost no questions asked. Work full-time at a, at a professional football club and develop something that I, I felt I can do this. I can get young people involved. I can get people involved in a club. And so from there, um, a few other roles. I was given the opportunity to be the head of sport at Larbert High School as part of a Trinity's Community Sports Club, Stenish Football Club Link, which was the first community sports club in Scotland out with the pilot. It was a fantastic project. It's still, Larbert High is still one of the best um, public schools in the country for sports provision and, and I'm really proud of the legacy we've left and the people that have taken on since Billy and Greg have done have done great work to carry on uh, you know what we did put in place and then I was given the chance to be the uh, to go to the academy so another uh, you know first for Scottish football it was uh, you know happened to be the, the first regional academy in Scotland um, under the we've had a few performance directors since but under our first performance director Mark Vlotti and he, he believed that Football clubs, smaller football clubs, not Stennis, Weir, Falkirk, etc., should work together to develop young players. So the concept was was really, really good. Based at Stirling University, he wanted to get all the four Valley clubs, including Allen and Stirling, involved. They declined. So Falkirk, Stennis, Weir, and Stirlingshire set up in this, you know, this pretty unique and ambitious project. 
it was fantastic. It was a great place to work. Unfortunately, Falkirk took decisions um, to withdraw all funding from the academy, uh, and, and and that was you know that was the end of the academy in two thousand and eighteen. So I was out and working uh, out of um, a job and really not quite sure what was next, uh, and. Uh, because I, hopefully because I'd done a fairly good job at Stenish Mule over the over my time at, in different roles, they they, they decided um, that hopefully it's been a good decision for them that they decided to give me an opportunity to to be the chief executive, and I probably realised at, at that point in time that for my own journey and where I would probably want to go in football, it gave me the best possible chance. I, I do believe I'm a good youth coach. You know, I've, I've coach young players for 15 or 16 years now I've coached elite young players for 12 years of that 16 years so I do believe I'm a very good youth coach but realistically I was never going to be a manager or, or, or that you know it's <laughs> you know, if you've not, not played professionally in Scotland being a manager is, is very tough and um, you just have to look at what happens when an Ian Caffrey comes out of the role that the, you know, Scottish football doesn't like people that they don't know <laughs> starting as manager you know, coming. so I knew I was never going to be a manager and therefore the opportunity to start um, to change my career away from academy football towards uh, being a chief executive was just an incredible um, option for me. I thought, and at a club that I really, I've just had a great time at Stenish Mere. Met you know so many good people and learned so much. So it was a, a really, really good offer that they gave me to take on this role, their first ever chief executive, and I was just excited by it. So here we are, just about three years later. It's some journey for you, um, going from, you know, essentially, um, you know, coaching under Levins all the way up to being um, one of the most important people at the club. Um, so, I mean, it's it's an incredible journey. Just tell us a lot about. I mean, I think most people have a general um, conception as to what the role of chief executive does, but from from your point of view, um, you know, I, I'm guessing that there's going to be more than just a link between um, Dave Irons and uh, Ian McMenemy, your chairman. Um, there must be, uh, there's obviously going to be a lot of community work in there. Yeah, so um, I suppose if, if you're at a, a big club or a bigger club, you'll have a, you know, a team of staff under you that will you know, cover different departments in a football club. So at Stenish Beer, we, you know, we clearly don't have um, a massive team of staff. We've got, we've got some fantastic staff in our, in our office and our community department and you know, lots of great volunteers. But you know, we don't have, for example, um, you have to, to go straight to football. So uh, my role at the football club, is, as you say, is, is to help manage the football department. And I say manage, just to be really clear, not picking players, not signing players. That's the manager's job. But to, but to support the football management team and everything that goes with that. So everything we can do to make sure the football operations at the club are as strong as we can. Develop a football strategy to hopefully drive performance to support the manager. So develop a proper recruitment and ID, uh, talent ID and, and recruitment network. Um, develop you know sports science and, 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 and video analysis aspects of the club. Create partnerships. You know create the partnership with Hibernian, which is you know the first in Scottish football. So the football department, while the manager will always have the the, the main say on picking players. We, we, you know that's never going to be our role in our role. But what we what I'm hopefully able to do is give Davy a, a, a you know a really good support network of people that he can and, and resource that he can he can use. And then as you say, be that link um, between the boardroom and and the management team. So so that's the football aspect of it. Then in another world, another job, sorry, another club, you might have a head of commercial, uh, the commercial director, 
uh, that's 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 just my role. That's just part of my role. We just have to lead on the commercial aspects as well. And another club, you might have a, a chief executive of your charity. Well, again, that's just up to myself. I need to, uh, I manage our community program. I was in the community program. Uh, but a fantastic team of people in there that are you know, doing incredible work. I know we'll come on to some of the community work later. Um, some clubs might even have a facility manager. Again, that's me. <laughs> so, so you, you can see that you can see the trend here. That um, some clubs might have a media officer. Again, that's me. Uh, so, so, so I, I, effectively, as a chief executive at a smaller club, and I think this is actually where it's incredibly. Um, beneficial in a really strange way is while I do a lot of hours and a lot of social hours as, as, as a part of that you mentioned privilege at the start I absolutely do feel I'm in a privileged position because I get to see all aspects of the club I get to positively influence all aspects of the club and from my own learning point of view as someone who's who you know when I first went to university to do sports management and just that first started coaching didn't absolutely have a career path in mind, just felt I wanted to be involved in football. But to be able to influence all parts of a football club is, is is fantastic. And I've learned so much from being the chief executive that, you know, I would never have got that in, in other roles. You know, learning commercial aspects, learning the whole financial side and financial management of a business, you don't get that in, in other roles in football. You know, so I've been very fortunate to learn so so much in the role. But to yeah, to, to, to pretty much summarise, it's 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 everything. Yeah, and it, it must have been some um, learning curve going from you know co- you know coaching young kids to then learning the the business side um, of football. You know, that must have been a, a real real um, wake up call for you in some ways. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't, I absolutely don't mind. I don't mind admitting it. I, I remember first couple of first um, couple of board meetings, and you know, I'm sitting there just you know, new in the door, 31 year old, you know, full of ideas and passion. But you know, in terms of commercial, financial side, business, business operations, um, uh, and, and even facility management, I'm, I'm thinking I'm out of my depth here. You know, just just being really honest about my depth, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with football. I'm pretty comfortable with uh, community uh, and all that, but I'm not, you know, I'm not very well versed in these other aspects. So I remember, you know, when I very first had to start to learn that side, there was a bit of, you know, a bit of fear, a bit of apprehension. I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind saying. That. I remember sitting with my mum. Mum's a an accountant. I remember sitting with mum. I might need a hand with some of this. I might need to, might you give me a hand with. You know exactly how to, how to understand the the, the the management accounts that we produce every month, the cash flow forecast, the the, 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 the overall statutory accounts that we produce every year. I've not I've not done this before, but actually, and this has probably been the part that surprised me the most. I've loved that part. Of it. I really really have loved the business, the financial side of it has been great. The football part's always the best. The three o'clock on a Saturday, right. nothing beats that, right? So so you know that the best part of your week, well. It's not always, it can be the worst part of the week as well. But you know that the part you look forward to is the three o'clock on a Saturday. However, the amount of satisfaction I get out of, of, of manage, helping to manage the business and bring commercial partners in and bring finance into the club and that allows the club to grow is huge. So you're, at, you're right, a real, real steep learning curve. Yeah, it really is a learning curve. And then when you, just when you thought you were starting to learn a bit more, Along came um, COVID last year, which um, presented its own challenge. Um, we'll never forget Friday the 13th of March um, in a hurry, because that's when football was officially declared shut. Um, and then, well, for you guys, I mean, um, 
it went all the way until um, October, seven month wait. Um, it, that how how big a challenge was that? Um, first of all, um, you know, from a mental point of view as well, because for the players, you know, all of a sudden from going from having a game to look forward to on a Saturday to then nothing, um, not even training, just sitting in the house. And obviously, David would have taken um, training via Zoom, which isn't quite the same. But um, you know, from your point of view, just how challenging were those? those early weeks in particular when it became clear that football wasn't happening? I think number one was just fear of of can the club survive? I'll be honest, you know, football actually out the window, even even for someone like myself, where football, the life, it's such a big part of my life, football just got put absolutely on the back burner. You know, all we thought about initially was can we make sure this club survives? Because... This was before we knew what level of support would be available, for example, for the furlough scheme. Um, and, and we never knew when we would get back to football, as you say. We, we didn't know if it would be October or if fans would come back. And here we are, we've still not got fans back. Uh, so I think initially it was just a real fear of this club could go under. But I'm pretty sure that was probably the same fear in just about every boardroom in Scotland. I, I'm sure most clubs had that, that initial fear of, wait a minute here, if this is six months, eight months without without finance, this club might not survive because I think, you know, I wouldn't know for, for, for certain, but I would imagine that most clubs only operate with a few months of uh, cash reserves. I, would, I wouldn't expect many clubs would have a year of, of cash reserves where they can just run with no income for a year. Um, we certainly didn't. We, we had probably, you know, three or four months. So at first you're saying, well, we've got enough money to get us to the summer, but if there's no financial support, what happens? So, so the initial part, I'll be honest, John, was just fear. And then football, you, know, you just forgot about football. What we did as a club is, is we, we just we knew football wasn't coming back for, for a long time. And we just focused all our efforts and energy on our community help initiative, on developing and supporting people in our community and carrying on with what we could deliver within our Warriors and the community programme. And for three or four months, football... And the nicest possible way, football was something we knew we'd get back to at some point, but we weren't able to influence it. So we just focused on making sure we had, we did everything we possibly could to help vulnerable people. And, and I'm really, really glad we did that. Yeah, the, the community aspect was something that um, won you a lot of um, praise. And we've actually got a question from um, someone from Stephen Louch on Twitter um, who asked, what are some of the highlights of the club's um, activity in the community during the last year? Any activities planned post-COVID to attract larger amount of local community, new build areas to, to the club as see very little club branding in, say, Kinnear area? Yeah, so I think first of all, thanks, thanks for, the, for, for the question, obviously. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in terms of the highlight was, it was probably getting the recognition from the Scottish Government. The Scottish Government recognised as, as a community anchor organisation and, and that's something I, I probably never expected the football club to ever be seen by the, the government in that light. So I think that was testament to the incredible work of, of 220 people. I mean, it was a, you know an unbelievable community effort. So, so this was not a one-man, two-man, you know, five-man operation. This was a full community getting out in force. So I think that recognition was was what everybody deserved. Every, every volunteer and every member of staff and every supporter who helped us, whether it was giving up their time, making a donation to the football club, you know, volunteering to do shopping trips and all the, all the many things, the partners we worked with. I think that was recognition for everybody. So I think that would be our, our, our highlight. Um, yeah. In terms of... Pl- 
plans post-COVID. I think that was the second part of the question, was, mm-hmm. was plans post-COVID. We would love to think that by, you know, we've connected with a lot of new people, people that have never been part of this football club in their life. They might have been in the area for their whole life, but they've never actually been part of the football club. So we'd like to think that some of these people now feel like they're actually a member. You know, they're, they're a Stennis Muir fan. Now, they're, they're, even if they'll never have us as their, their number one team, they could be their second team. <laughs> and we'd love to think that some of them will make a decision to come to the club. Um, the next part was talking about that that recovery and growth. We, we've got quite ambitious plans, actually, to, to continue to grow all the community stuff we do, the community initiative, what that we do. We want to really expand on that. A few things that we're already looking at is expanding on our um, diversionary work. So this is work that we do to try and divert young adults, young, so young adults, young people, teenagers 12 to 16, away from crime. So we use things like a toilet lease to do this, but we're going to try and expand on that. We're then going to work closer with the Health and Social Care Partnership to use it as a referral scheme. So we do a mental health programme where people are referred into our programme. We give them uh, football opportunities to try and support their mental health. But we want to do that for more people, not just people suffering from mental health, but people that maybe need to lose weight, people that maybe are recovering from illness or injury and need to go out and be active. So we've got really ambitious plans, actually, to, to grow the community side of the club. And our new charity should be launched probably by about... Um, the, the first quarter or up to the middle of this year, a new charity will be launched as well. That's going to have an, an, an environmental focus as well as a health and wellbeing focus. We want to, we want to take the lead in our area and lead the, the climate change challenge. We want to lead that for the whole community. So really, really ambitious plans. Uh, we take me all night to try and talk, talk through them. Uh, and, and hopefully we do, by doing all this great work, one of the things that we, we, we hope through time will happen is that we'll get more people coming to Oakleview Park to cheer us on. So um, uh, absolutely take the point on that, that we need to keep getting our name out there and getting our brand out there and, and careers are a, a very large um, you know, area within Stenish Muir and Larbert. It's almost its own village. It's, it's, it's that big. So we do need to do more to get people in. But hopefully people recognise the job of, that we've done and maybe now choose on a Saturday afternoon once it's safe to do so and we're permitted to do so, go down to Oakle View and uh, ensure that you're on the Warriors. Yeah, that that's um, definitely going to be um, part of the plan. Whilst it's it's always fantastic that you um, the work you are doing and keep the keep the name out there. We're obviously doing this um, for you um, for you guys to get your name out there as well. But the ultimate goal is to try and obviously when fans get back in that that local community can thank you further by come to Oakleview on a Saturday and try and boost your attendances a bit. Yeah, look, it would, it would be fantastic. It would, it would really be, you know, as a club, if you know our average crowd is about five hundred, if we could ever get that to seven, eight hundred, you know, you start to become a club that can compete um, at the next again level in Scottish football. You know, and 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 you don't have to look that far away to think, well, why wouldn't we at some point? Myself and the vice chairman David Reid were. People might say we're a bit pie in the sky, but we we've got an ambition to get to a thousand home supporters. And people might think that just is ridiculous because we're only sitting at 500. So how can you double your home support? However, we're ambitious. We're going to try it. We've got we've got a reward scheme where young people come along. They get their, their uh, cards stamped when they come in and they build up to merchandise. This is in free charge. So as to encourage young people to come. We've got a uh, discounted season ticket holders for, for, for community members. We've got uh, tickets for school programmes. I mean, we literally do everything we possibly can to get people into the ground. So um, through time, 
sticking to a long-term plan and a vision, you might just find in some time in this future we might be able to get to a you know a higher number of people coming to games. You, you, you never know. I mean, Stennis, we are in the Labrador area, is um, quite a, um, a big area. So there's no reason why, if you don't work hard and put a decent team in the park as well, um, that you can't get a thousand people. And, it, you know, see the more um, people like that go to a club like Stennis, Muir, um, or Montrose, or Albion Rovers, these clubs would be much better off going forward as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be great to see that across the whole, the whole game. I mean, obviously, we are. You know, we're passionate about Stennis Muir Football Club. However, I would love to see communities get out in support of of all their all their local clubs because there's been, you know, we've uh, we're grateful for the for the praise that we've received. But there's been tons of examples of clubs up and down the country that have done great work during the pandemic. Yeah. So I would I would love to see communities get right out and support their club and hopefully don't jump on the bus and go to Glasgow. You know, um, walk, walk into walk into your local club and, and and give them your give them your support instead. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I know from my, my own club, Aberdeen, that they've done a lot of work with the community as well, and they've um, had recognition. So it's good that um, you know it's filtering down. And uh, I've got a question from an Aberdeen fan, Glenn Schroeder. Um He he says, how much would um, how much of a miss would Scottish Cup replays be if they were scrapped going forward? As I'm sure Aberdeen replay was a major cash cash whistle, of course, two years ago. Um, Stays we've got a. Very well in one all draw um, at Pitoji. Didn't do well with me, but um, it got you a nice replay and it got my first trip to Oakham Views. It wasn't so bad. And our first win over Stainless Weir ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just so happens to be two years from the day. You couldn't, you couldn't have picked a better day for an Aberdeen fan to be pretty to be interviewed a Stainless Weir fan. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah so that was a, 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 you know, a magical day. We actually, people probably don't know, so we actually travelled with only fourteen fit players. We had lost the two previous games, 5-1 and 4 nothing. So our, actual, our aggregate score in the last two games was 9-1 and we had 14 fit players. We turned up and Aberdeen effectively put with our full first team, didn't rest anybody and we thought, oh my God, this could be genuinely a cricket score going on here. I don't, I don't, mind, I don't, mind, I don't mind admitting that I was thinking, if we can get away from here with a 2 or 3 nothing defeat, then actually that's not a bad outcome. So... You can imagine our absolute astonishment when Big Martin McGregor heads in the equaliser, and um, you know we, we get we get to uh, bring Aberdeen back to Oakview. View. That night we had thirteen fit players that night at Oakview. View. But yeah, no, to answer the question, that game, that that cup tie probably gave us around about thirty thousand pound extra income that that replay. Wow. So if if we played Aberdeen that that night that day, but Audrey went to penalties or extra time and Aberdeen beat us then we would never have got that extra £30,000 plus we wouldn't have had that fantastic night with a sellout at Oakville View and it was absolutely bitterly cold and minus five it felt um, and we wouldn't have had that you know we actually, we actually got all the, um, the the team that beat Aberdeen famously 2-0 um, uh, <laughs> we, we actually we, we invited a lot of them back out to the game so we had a lot of them uh, out including Terry Christie including the manager we had them out at local view so it was a really really good night and, and Aberdeen you know, won the game comfortably but but you're right we would have we would have lost out on not only finance but the opportunity to bring you know one of the biggest clubs in Scotland to a sellout local view so those memories and those opportunities uh, there's no doubt about it scrapping replays uh, for smaller clubs is is, is is a negative I understand Laterally, as the cup goes on, I think it's actually because of the fixture congestion. I think 
it makes sense a little bit that maybe as it goes on, but at lower level, lower round, sorry, second round, third round, etc. That's what clubs, you know, clubs they love the opportunity to take a big club back yeah. back to their own ground. So or the opposite, you, you sell at your own ground, then you get a draw, then you get to go to Petodre or Ibrox or Parkhead or Tanadice or, or Easter Road or whatever. That's that's great for small clubs. So yeah, it, w- it will be a loss, um, you know, to not have them. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that name Tom Steele, the dairy farmer, still said shivers down my spine. Um, is he still a dairy farmer? We actually we couldn't get in touch with him because uh, he seems to have he seems to not really have any social media. Nobody had a number for him. We we tried to track him where his farm was. As far as we're aware, he's still a, he's still a dairy farmer. Um, we managed to get about eight of the squad and the manager along that night, but none of the current or none of the players, sorry, had had contact with him. So unfortunately, I can't give you an update. But um, forevermore, he'll be etched in the folklore of of, of Senis Muir and. And the bad memories for Aberdeen, that's for sure. Yeah, as I say, I mean, that, that was, the night that we did beat you was our first ever win over Stesmere. But let's put it in the context, the first two games were like 100 odd years ago. And then we played Stesmere in 95 and then obviously twice in the 2019. But um, that even if Aberdeen went on to beat Stesmere in our 10 times, the one in 95 will always be the one that people remember, unfortunately. But um, it's it's a shame, like for Cove Rangers, like you were talking about, you know, the potential no replays, etc. I feel for Cove Rangers um, in particular because they've got the trip to Ibrox. Normally, they'd be there'd be a, a decent crowd there for them. They get the money from that and potential TV. They might get TV money this round because Premier Sports tend to pick Celtic or Rangers, rightly or wrongly. Um, but there obviously won't be a crowd there, they won't benefit from that. That's that's a real shame, but it's just unfortunately the times that we're in. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And as you say, out of all the years to draw Celtic or Rangers, it's probably the year you don't want to draw them because you, you won't get the, 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 the financial um, uplift that you would in any other year. So don't get me wrong, if, if we get back to football, we beat Peterhead and then somehow beat Kilmarnock and we draw Celtic or Rangers, I'll not be complaining. Just to confirm that, I'll be delighted. But uh, it's certainly, out of all the years to get them, this is not probably the, the year even going. Yeah, well, Premier Premier Sports uh, might give you it if um if you get if you get that far. So good luck um, in the replay against uh, Peterhead. Um, I've got a question from Stuart Fisher just when we were talking about crowds, etc. Um, and his he's an Aberdeen fan, incidentally. Says what are what are your thoughts that events such as going to football or cinema, etc., should require a strict you must have been vaccinated policy? So my own thoughts on this would be that. that Obviously, we'll have to do whatever we're expected to do by the government body and the, and the Scottish government. But you know, we we know we're not going to get fans in this year. We've known that for for a while. However, we're going to next year. I would be deeply disappointed if we can't get supporters back next year. And if it is, you can only go to a football game, for example, if you've been vaccinated. Well, for everybody under the age of, I don't know the exact rollout times, but everybody under the age of say forty-five or fifty are therefore not going to be able to go to football matches. So for me, that would be you know highly disappointing. Um, so every over 50 or 60 could probably go because they've been vaccinated. <laughs> so it really would be disappointing if that was the case. I, I feel that, um, I don't know what the tipping, I'm not a medical expert by any means, but I don't know what the tipping point is from uh, having enough people vaccinated in the population with the people that have had the, vi- the virus and therefore built up some level of antibodies and the fact that most of the younger people will be the ones that have not been vaccinated. So I would like to think there's a tipping point somewhere where society can carry on 
knowing that knowing that COVID is going to have um, still going to spread, but it's going to spread in younger populations who, in the most part, are going to be okay, and we can manage it. Now, it's still I'm not by any means belittling the virus because the virus mm-hmm. is a very serious one and one that we unfortunately have had first-hand experience over. Our general manager lost her husband right at the very start of the virus uh, pandemic to COVID. So by no means uh, belittling it. However, by the time we get back up and running from next year in July, the thought of not being able to welcome in anybody under the age of a certain age because they've not got the vaccination yet would be really, really uh, a so a one for, for everybody because football is a big part of people's lives. You know, to think you have to go another three or four months into September, October before you can go and watch your club because you're 30 year old or 25 year old or something, that's <laughs> that's a pretty negative uh, 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 picture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the, fa- the fans in stadium argument, I know right now that we can't really have the argument because obviously we're in lockdown and you guys have also got more pressing matters. But when the whole fans with, um, come back to football argument was surfacing, um, I mean, Dave Cormack was very vocal. I feel as though he needed more support from other people. But um, a lot of the test events went ahead um, of 300. There was one in Aberdeen. There's been several at Ross County, several, a couple in Inverness. Shinra had one right before lockdown, uh, before they get put back to tier four over Christmas. And all of them seem to go through successfully with no link cases to COVID. Um, how frustrating, and from your point of view, um, when you're trying to get um, convince the government, let's get fans back in and listen um I don't envy the government, they've got difficult decisions, so it's not a criticism of them at all. But how difficult is it trying to push forward your argument, um, you know, to get fans in and how, how passionate were you about it? Yeah, so we we were we actually also played a match in front of 300 fans at Elgin just before before lockdown. And I tell you, Elgin, Elgin had a you know, fantastic setup, really, really really professional um, all the, you could see the fans all spread out in the terracing, everything was clearly marked, they were coming in in different intervals so Elgin done a great job and unfortunately like many clubs Sonara and Cody etc, they got one shot at it before before it was um, it was pulled so th- there's a couple of things for me if you take the most recent decision to suspend the lower leagues not only were we not consulted on it which is highly mm-hmm. disappointing but we were informed at the same time as the press, which I think as a member's organisation, is wrong. And the third thing for us is we've asked the question a few times now, what was the decision based on? You know, we feel that if the decision was based on science, that the, the spread at lower levels is, is, is clear and evident, and therefore it has to, we have to stop playing football, then we would have understood that 100% and would have, would have, would have been backing that decision. As it happens... Nobody can provide us with that evidence as to why they've suspended football. So there's, there's there's not a single bit of evidence that we've been given as a club. I don't think any other member club has either to say the reason we reached this decision, because it was a Scottish AFA and SPFL decision, not a Scottish government decision. The reason we've reached this decision is because of this and present the data. So going to your fans and stadium argument is very similar. It's If we've done these test events and the data shows there's not been a spread of the virus, then why would we not continue to allow small groups? Why would we not then start to look at 600 or 1,000 people at Petodre or whatever the next number is, right? Because if the evidence in the science is saying that there isn't, it's not spreading in these environments, then there's, I can't quite see the reason for not allowing 
um, not allowing football at our level to continue or not allowing small numbers of supporters to come in. But I'll always caveat this by saying, you know, we have all got a role to play to reduce the spread of this virus. And we are, we've been very fortunate that we've been able to get up and running. The government gave us special exemption as a professional club. And we were able to run, you know, um, I don't know how many games in total we played, probably 17 or 18 games, cup games included. So we're very fortunate we've been able to go and play football. But it is frustrating that there's no data or evidence to back up the reasons for A, supporters and grounds, and B, for us at this moment in time, along with every club in League One and Two, Highland League, Lowland League, East of Scotland, West of Scotland and Junior Football, I think it's 270 clubs. There's no evidence to tell us why they got to, how they got to that decision. And more worryingly, actually, there's also no plan or agreed strategy to get us back playing. So there's been nothing agreed to say this is what you need to do to get back to football and this is the numbers or this is the criteria. Or this. So, so that's also a major concern that, that that's not been thought about already. Yeah, so the, I understand the guidelines. Are, uh, you know, it's a three-week shutdown. Um, but have they said it's three weeks then review or is it three weeks and we should hopefully be back playing? I mean, what update have you guys had? The update we've had is just the same as, as, as the press got, really, that we are shut down for the 1st of February. And as far as we're aware, we've got, we hopefully we'll start football again the 1st of February. But I I am worried that that won't happen. I, I, I fear that that won't happen. The Scottish Government today um, have made, the, I'm sure, a difficult decision to extend the school's uh, online Expected. learning to the middle of February. I Therefore, I can't see and I would understand that how can you then allow you know part-time football clubs to return when the schools are, are, are not able to return? But I do go back to it. If we knew what, if we knew why we cancelled or suspended the lower leagues in the first place, that would help. If we then had a plan for how to return, how to get a return of the lower leagues, that would also help. When neither of these two things exist, you don't really understand the rationale for the decisions. So to answer your question, I don't really know when we're going to be back playing football. And I don't think anybody in League One, Two or below knows the answer to that question. It's going to be um, a difficult couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, Neil, um, Neil Doncaster's come in for um, a lot of criticism. Um, I wrote a piece um, on, you know, what I think his his future should be. Um, but I won't get into that in this, in this call. But um, I understand that last week um, during the Zoom call, he muted everyone's microphones and wasn't very forthcoming. How disappointing is, is that to hear? Yeah, yeah, look, it, it, it was. Um, and, and just to be really clear on this friend, it has seen the, 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 the there's been different um, pieces put out in the press. Just to be absolutely clear, every single club was on mute. Every single club was on mute. There was, and, and, and this is the part that's made a wee bit grey, there was a um, information that came out beforehand to say submit your questions beforehand, which was fine. But there was also within that information another part that said you can use the chat function within the Zoom call to raise, um, you know, to, to, to raise other points. So and our chairman's our chairman's been been quite vocal about it. He he tried a few times to to use the the chat function, which was what he was he was told to do. Is as a member, we were told that was an option, and he was told on the actual day. You know, when he was trying to use the, 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 the chat function, he was told that's no longer an option. So just to be absolutely clear, that's that's the facts of what happened. And therefore, as a result, 
no, even though we were only suspended, um, you know, literally the, 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 the couple of days before that, so so we'd only just received this news of football being suspended. There was no opportunity to ask any questions or to you know have any debate about it, um, and it was that was the end of the meeting. So I think the SPFL have acknowledged that that was the wrong format for the meeting. Murdo uh, McClellan has um, the chairman has has said that you know they'll look at um, a different format for the, for the next meeting. So we have to have to accept that. But it is frustrating that at a time of you know concern, a time of worry, a time of uh, major uncertainty for. 20 of the 42 clubs, so just about half of the membership, that nobody can give us any answers and we're also not allowed to ask any questions is, 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 not, is not ideal. Um, so difficult, difficult times, uh, you know, at the moment. Yeah, it really is difficult times. I hope you get back to playing football, um, the, the club get back to playing football soon. But going back to la- last year, um, the, fr- from a personal point of view, I found the whole handling of the um the end of season um, league reconstruction talks a, a big embarrassment for Scottish football. To be brutally to be brutal honest, the, the behaviour of a lot of club chairmen, etc., um, with the petty statements that were going out was nothing short of embarrassing from my point of view. Um, there was a chance for um, you know clubs to properly come together. Instead, they were pulling each other apart, and self interest really. Um, Came out um, from your point of from your point of view from Sesmir's point of view when you were entering those discussions, um, knowing that you were in a position where you weren't going to get relegated and you weren't getting promoted either. What viewpoint did you think was best at that point? Yeah, I think you've made a good point there. We we were a club that probably wasn't, um, you know, it was never going to be overly affected by a decision. So so right away we need to make that point clear. There was clubs out there that were. You know, significantly affected by the decision. So we were maybe a little bit fortunate that it didn't absolutely make a massive difference to us there and then because we were probably, we weren't quite safe, but we were looking relatively safe at the time. So so from that point of view, we need to probably um, distinguish the difference between us and, say, Harps or Stranraer or, 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 or Falkirk because, you know, these clubs all had, you know, had reasons to, to, to you know, to object and, and so on. I think for my, if I, if I just take my hat off at the moment as a senior memory staff, what I would have liked to have seen would have been uh, a decision that, that had the least harm to Scottish football clubs as a whole. Uh, the decision to, to call the season was 100% the right decision. There was yeah, absolutely no chance. There was no chance. What I mean, we knew this. That, you know, you, you seen what was happening. There was no chance we were going to get back to playing football and carry on the season. So, so categorically, that was the right decision. However, the part that for me we, we've really not got right is that what we should have done is said, right, what's the one that's the least damaging? for clubs in Scotland. So no club should be relegated, in my opinion. If, 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 the op- if we were allowed to vote on this as a, a singular option that you end the season and I would have personally um, added the two clubs in, um, Brora and, and, and Gelty, um, and I would have therefore kept the Premiership would, would, would have been a 14-team league and every other, you know, every other league would, be, um, would have been the same. So you wouldn't have added. It's just about the, the, the same thing. Um, the only thing you'd have had to have dealt with is, is tweaking the Premiership um, fixtures to, 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 to suit a 14-team league. But you would have had no club 
significantly affected by the pandemic, any more so than they were already going to be affected by a pandemic. So my sympathies, absolutely. And I think when you look at, at the moment, Partick Thistle, I mean, they have had, without doubt, the roughest time of, of every club in Scotland. Mm. They have not only been relegated, they're now not able to play and they're a full-time club. They had a, a game in hand um, as well last year. I mean, people might say, oh, well, you know, they're bottom of the league and therefore they deserve to go down. There was still a lot to play for in, in, in yeah. Partick for some okay. case. And, and now they find themselves once again on the other side of it where they now can't even play football. So I would have liked to have drawn, from a Scottish football point of view, I really would have liked to have seen a decision that combined the two if possible that said we end the season because it's the right thing to do for everybody's safety, but we also we, we slightly reconstruct the leagues to make sure nobody's relegated. And unfortunately, we didn't achieve that. And, and, and what, in, what ensued after that was you know a pretty dark period in Scottish football that very, you know not many people can can come out holding their head up high unfortunately over that period. No, definitely not. There's it's very few. Um, do you think? Um, I I'm of the opinion. It's just my personal opinion um, that Neil Doncaster, when he was proposing the end of season, should also have put along at the same bracket. And we're going to recon. Um, we should. We're going to put a proposal to reconstruct the leagues, um, so that Hearts don't get relegated, Partick Thistle don't get relegated, um, Wraith Rovers and Dundee United get their promotions, and that Broad and Kelty don't get affected, and they get the chance to come in the leagues as well. Um, but he didn't do that. Do you think that's something he should have done at the same point? And maybe rather than palm it off to um, Anne Budge, that maybe it might have got through. Yeah, the one thing I would say here is that, uh, you know, we are bound by the articles, the SBFL articles are, are intricate, um, you know, and I'm not a lawyer. So I don't know exactly, because I remember asking, I remember this question being asked of the SBFL board, and I believe, and I could be wrong, that it wasn't possible to combine the two in one resolution. So I might be wrong with that, but I'm pretty sure they say they can't do them both as a winner. They can't just say you end the league and you reconstruct and it's just a single vote. Now, could they have done something really similar to that that would have given reconstruction a far better chance? Um, you know, whereas you say it was right at the very beginning, it was made clear that reconstruction will happen, that it will be, a, you know, um, to prevent teams getting relegated. I don't know how, the, how that would have worked legally. But I would have that would have been the right way forward in my opinion. Yeah, I appreciate your honesty and the answer there, Jamie. Um and what I've got to say, um, this isn't an anti Neil Doncaster thing because he's mainly carrying out the ju- the duties as per the rules put in by the clubs. There's a lot of club power in there. Um but at the same point in his role as CEO that should have been his domain to propose that, but that's just a personal opinion as I say. But move on to more positive things. So um on the on the part of this season, um, I know Davy from speaking to him um, has aspirations for promotion. It's been a bit of a mixed bag at the moment, but they're still in with a chance of the playoffs. So, how hopeful are you if football gets resumed? That is um, that they can push into that playoffs and potential go up like they did a couple of years ago when they beat Peterhead. Yeah, that was a um, you know that was my first. Uh, I was only there for half a season, but I got to experience the, the playoffs, and it was you know it's, it's just a magical experience. It really is incredible, especially coming back down the road from Peterhead. <laughs> so I would love to get back to doing um, to the playoffs again with the club. It's great for the supporters, great for the town. Where we are at the moment, we we've had an incredibly bad season with injuries. Um, 
we've also underperformed and, and, and the players, you know, if any players listen, I think they'll probably agree that we haven't performed to the level we should have either. We've got some very, very good players, some highly experienced League One Championship, League Two players that, that are more than capable of, of giving us a, a you know a chance in the, to get to the playoffs. But we have had a lot of injuries. Um, we played Preston, played uh, Preston Athletic in our last proper game of football because the Stolen Albion game got called after half an hour and then on the way up to Peterhead the, the game was called off. So our last actual game of football we beat Preston Athletic in the Scottish Cup. We we had 10 injuries and suspensions, 10. You know, we've only got a squad of 24 players. So 10 is a very, very high percentage. <laughs> so in a strange way, this shutdown might benefit us on the basis that we've got some key players like Tommy Muir and Chris Kane who if we can get them fully fit and we start back in February and we've already had some of the other players return anyway since since we had the real bad pit spell of injuries, we, we might have a chance of having just about a fully fit team. Now, there's, there's two exceptions. Uh, Graham Smith, a highly experienced goalkeeper who's probably the best in the league. You know, he, he, he done his ACL at the start of the season, so he, he's out for the season. And Callum Yates, who we've got on loan from Hibs, who's doing magnificent, he's probably a wee while away as well, but should get back for some point in the season. So we've got a real chance that with a full squad of players, we've seen Thomas Collins from East Fife as well, who we believe will, will, will definitely add to the squad. So I'm quite confident that we'll have a good second half of the year and, and it'll give us a right chance of being in the playoffs. And um, speaking of injured players, etc., how is Adam McCracken, the player that um, is obviously um, taking off after the um, Sterling game? Yeah, um, missing a bit of his tooth is probably his, his, his longest uh, longest term, um, also the only long-term side effect. Uh, thankfully, after a few minutes, Adam regained consciousness on the park and uh, you know he was discharged from hospital late that, that evening. So he did have concussion, clearly and, and unexpectedly and he he would have been if we were training he would have been back to training by now so by the time we start back in February he'll be he'll be absolutely fine and he'll, he'll return to the training at the same time as the rest of the squad that's good and we, we wish Adam um, all the best um, I do have a question from a member of staff um, at, the, at the club just asking um, when are you sacking the manager <laughs> you know who the member of staff is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll refrain from answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> it was from Davies, to be fair. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, what's um, what's your hopes um, for for the for the club going forward before we move on to other chat? You know, we we, we want to be a, a club. Um, you know, our overall objective as a, as a on, from on the park point of view, you know, because we've obviously we've got much wider aspirations than everything we do off the park. But if we're talking purely football, we want to be a club that performs consistently in the top five part-time teams in Scotland. So if you look at that just now, you've got Arbroath and Aloha in the Championship. So we would therefore see ourselves at some point, and we need to, we've got a football um performance football strategy that we're developing just now that within five years I would like to think we could be the top end of League One and that's a, that's our aim but not just to get there to actually get there and stay there and if you look at clubs like Allo and Arbroath they've done fantastic to get in the championship mm. but you also look at Dumbarton were there for a number of years and uh, credit to clubs like East Fife who are always the top well, have been for a long time now the top end of League One we, we, we look at those clubs and we say, well, how do we get to that status where we are actually competing to get a shot in the championship, but more importantly, we're a sustainable you know, playoff League One team. So that's their aspiration. That's the aim in the next five years. 
Well, you never know if you keep building yourself up the way that you have been and get your thousand fans. You certainly got yourself a chance. So, yeah, good luck with that going forward. So, on to um, one of your main hobbies um, out with uh, Stennis Moore Football Club, and that's the Scotland national team. Um, so, when did your love affair um, for, for Scotland start? <laughs> Uh, I, I remember um, going to games a couple of times when I was you know, six or seven year old. But um, my first real memories was was uh, was, was you know, crying at Uber ninety six after McAllister missed the penalty and Gaza scored the goal, and it'll, it'll, it's haunted me forever more. Um, so I think in terms of when my real passion started, it probably would have been Uber ninety six. Uh, you know, fortunate in comparison to all the people that are a lot younger than me that haven't seen us at a major tournament I, you know I was old enough to watch us at 96 and 98 so I think my passion really started then I have then for my sins consistently went since 1999 so the full the full 21 year 22 year of of misery and failure I have went every home game or not quite every just about every home game in that 22 year period and some away games so 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 Serbia <laughs> Jumping about my living room, um, just euphoria, euphoria for, for for a long time. I don't even know how much money and time I've spent going to watch Scotland over the years, but let's just say it's quite a high, quite a high number for both. So, you know, delighted to finally have something that as a nation we can look forward to. And it is so typical of Scotland that the chances are we're not going to actually be able to go to the games to watch it. It's so typical. Yeah, it's. I mean, when you think there's light at the, head, um, at the end of the tunnel, some there's another curveball being thrown. So you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and hopefully, fans will be get, getting um, will be allowed, or even like fifty, seventy percent might be allowed. We just don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I mean, that night against uh, Serbia, I mean, um, Ian Crocker was telling me um, that he received a text from Rory Hamilton, the um, the Premier Sports and BT commentator, that he spent. Um, years travelling abroad. I've spoken to Rory myself as well, actually. Um, he's been going abroad for years and years watching Scotland. And when we finally do it, um, he's at home with his dog. <laughs> it's just typical. This is, and you've always got a summer. You've probably went a few away days and you're watching it in the living room. It's, it's a bit surreal. It is, and you know, it is. It's, it, look, it's, it, it'll be desperately disappointing if we can't go to Hamden and we can't go to Wembley. I mean, I've already booked, um, I've booked eleven rooms in London for 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 me and a lot of my pals and, uh, to go down. So if 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 we don't get the chance to go, it will be it will be hard to take. Mm-hmm. But just the thought of actually watching a a, a nation at a tournament again is. It does give you an at least gives you something to look forward to. It really does, and obviously I hope that we can do it in the stadiums. But unfortunately, when you look at when you look at the the vaccine rollout, um, it certainly doesn't look great because I think you know people. I think they're saying all adults in Scotland uh, will be vaccinated by September. So you know, by the time we get to June for the for these uh, for these Euros, there's going to be a lot of people not vaccinated and. I don't know quite how they'll work that. And going back to the earlier question from one of one of the questions we got, if it is based on vaccination, then people like me and you have got no chance because yeah. we are we're not we're not old enough to have been vaccinated by the end. So so that's that's going to be a, a, you know potentially a real a real sore one for lots of Scotland fans. Yeah, and I don't think there's many over seventies in the Scotland Supporters Club, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll just need to wait and see. I mean, fifth of March, I think they're making the big decision with UEFA um, as to what they're doing with the tournament. Um, UEFA have um, 
been asking people if they want refunds now, but they've got to do so by 26th of January, which I think is an absolute nonsense. Um, but we'll um, skip over that. What has been your um, sort of favourite memories watching um, watching the national team, other than obviously um, November when we qualified? Uh, yeah, over the years I would I would pick a few. I remember we we, we beat I'm sure it was Lithuania to get a place in the playoffs when we ended up playing Holland. Uh, they obviously beat Holland one 0 and then got absolutely spanked in the away game. Um, so so I would say that up to the, the the defeat in Holland, that that you know Lithuania and Holland game at home were, were obviously were, were clear clear highlights. Um, the, the the two France games, I was fortunate to be at, at both France games, so. The, the McFadden one will, will just forever be, uh, you know, one of the best days of my life. Simple as that. It was just unbelievable. Even the home game with Gary Colwell scoring was 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 pretty, you know, pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, clearly uh, the England game. If 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 we'd held on, <laughs> I keep you know I keep saying that that the, the two Griffiths free kicks. If we had held on to that game, that might have just overtook France. Um, yeah. But. We all know what happened, uh, uh, unfortunately, in that game. Yeah. Um, and then clearly now, you know, away trips are always special. I mean, even even though I've been to a lot more defeats than I have than I have wins, uh, you know, the away trips are just unbelievable. And um, it's hard to for people who don't go to Scotland away games, it's it's hard to really put any words. That, you know, you're three or four days away in a in a, in a country with ten thousand Scotland fans. The atmosphere, the the feel good factor, the you know the, the the banter you have with the locals because Scotland fans ninety nine point nine percent travel in good spirits, and uh, you know you just it's it's so so special. Um, that that if you've not been, it's hard to really understand it. So so lots of lots of great memories, and I'll be honest, just going with your friends and family. You know, me and my dad have been going since I was. As I say, eight, nine, ten, and we still go to every home game. So, so that's special. And football in general, forget Scotland. We're talking about society and in a pandemic here. That is so important to people to be able to go to football with their friends and family. And we need to get people back to the games as soon as possible, regardless of it's Scotland, Senegal, we and Aberdeen. We need people back in grounds because it's a massive part of society. So let's hope we can do that. But let's hope we can also do it for the Euros. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that we need to try and aim for because the Euros, um, I've, I've said this um, to a few people, the Euros is more than just about four games of football at Hampden Park and in England's um, in England's case, the final being at, at Wembley in the, in the semi-final. It's about, you know, the, the effects in the economy because, especially from our point of view, given the fact it's, going to, it's been 23 years, the amount of merchandise that's going to be sold, the pubs that um, will be looking to cash in as well, people coming um, fr- from some parts of Europe to watch these games, it's going to bring in so much revenue. And it looks, and if that was to be cut, that would just have a massive, uh, uh, that would just be, a, you know, a massive blow. And not to mention the money filters down, you know, so the Scottish yeah. AFA is a member of the organisation. When the Scottish AFA make money, the money filters down to the clubs. So it's in every, this is why I can't understand a football supporter who's Scottish and doesn't support the national team and I hope that doesn't offend I actually, I actually don't care if it offends somebody if I'm going to be really honest because everybody should get right behind the national team. The reason being, it's so short-sighted to think that Scotland doesn't affect your club. If, if Scotland do well, they make money, the money comes back to your football club. So every single club person in Scotland should want the club, the country to do well because you all benefit from it. So Scotland, every club, including Stenisbjörn, will benefit from Scotland going to the Euros. But you're right, the level of benefit won't be as high if there's no supporters there. It'll just be the, the prize money and the, 
the, you know, the participation money that, that Scotland get. But if Scotland can get back to qualifying regularly, Scottish football will be financially so much better off and every single club will benefit. So um, hopefully we can, we, we can get to that more often. But let's focus on hopefully having a good, good Euros first and foremost. Yeah, let's hope so. And what um, what hopes do you have for us in, in the Euros on the park? Um, well, I think I think it's safe to say we'll, we'll definitely pick up six points from the first two games. Um, so we'll go to England, we'll go to Wembley with three points in the bag and pick another three up. So that will be us through. Uh, then we, then we can maybe rest. We can rest a couple for that for that final game at Hamden. Maybe just go through. With seven, <laughs> just go through. With, just go through with seven points. I'd, be, I'd settle for seven points and then uh, see, just see what the next round holds for us. So. Eternal optimist, yes. <laughs> I mean, to see, to be fair, um, we might only need to win one game, and that might be enough because four of the best third place teams get through. That's how Northern Ireland got through a couple of years ago, uh, or five years ago. Now it'll be Portugal didn't even win a game, and they ended up winning the thing. Um, <laughs> no, which is yeah, Scotland. Scotland has. I mean, the last time we were at the Euros, we got four points, obviously, and we went out gold different you know, to Holland. So actually, you're right. If we could start off with three points at Hamden in that first game, I mean that you know we're flying at that point. You know you go to Wembley, you see what you can take from Wembley. So there's no reason to suggest that we can't qualify because I think four points that you're guaranteed through pretty much. So if we can win one and draw one, then then we're through. And it's tough, it is tough. But I think Steve Clark, I think when you look at the progress that Steve Clark achieved. And, and the time he's been in, uh, the level of performance, defensive organisation, overall team cohesion and unity and, 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 and tactical awareness. Steve Clark has made us a better team and he'll continue to make us a better team for the next set uh, of matches for the World Cup qualifiers and then we go into the Euros. So I'm, I'm confident you know, we'll give it a right good go uh, in all three of those games. Yeah, and the World Cup qualifying campaign also starts in March as well. Um, it's, it's not often that you get play qualifying matches get into a major tournament as well. I mean, what a motivation that is for the players to effectively cement their Euros place by put, by helping Scotland off to a good start in this World Cup group, which, let's be honest, I mean, when we look to draw, whilst we don't disrespect any opponent, um, we've got tough, tough opponents in there, but it doesn't strike you with fear like previous campaigns might have done. I think it's the first time for as long as I can remember we've not had like a real, you know, a, what I call it, a big hitter in the group. You know, I think yeah. we, we always we always tend to get one of the teams that you just know they're going to win the group because it's Germany or it's Holland or whoever it may be. And then quite often we also have been very unfortunate on a few occasions. We've also landed a, a massive second seed on a few occasions as well. So, so for us. When you look at it, we've managed to avoid um, the, the, the absolute top teams in Europe, although, as you say, that you know, there is a couple of tough teams in there. But we've got probably the, just about the most favourable draw we could have got, and it gives us a real a real chance um, of, 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 of qualifying. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We have a better chance now than we've had for quite a long time because of that draw. So let's just hope Steve Clark can keep us going in the right direction. Let's hope so. And um, what's um, been your favourite? Um, you also mentioned France. Is that your favourite away trip, or is there a couple other that go in there? Uh, no, without without a doubt, France. Without a, a shadow of a doubt, France. I have enjoyed. Uh, um, I've enjoyed some great trips. Maybe not the football. I loved going to Prague. Unfortunately, it was a Craig Levine four six zero game. Uh, but um, but the but the whole Prague trip was 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 magnificent. When we when we played um, the double header with Wales and in, in Belgium. 
you know that was an amazing double header going down to Cardiff and then and then over to uh, over to Belgium. So so you know I've I've been fortunate to be even the first time going to Wembley the the new Wembley. I know I know we lost three two, but you know when Kenny Miller you know scored that goal, he, he put us in front etc. I mean I mean I've been fortunate to be at a few cracking games. Uh, unfortunately, more often than not we've, we've lost. But uh, France. France will, I think it might be difficult to ever beat France as a, as a memory and experience, to be honest with you. So uh, that, was my, that was my first Scotland away game. And therefore, I, I, I probably should just have stopped going. I should probably just have said there and then, that's it. It doesn't get better than that. Just take it and, and be happy. But I've, I've kept chasing. I've kept chasing another France since. Never quite got anything. Never, never got close to it. Well, if we're lucky enough to get to Wembley and we win at Wembley this year, then that would top everything. That, that, to be that, that would be it. Qualify, win the group and be England at the same time. That's me. I'm happy. Whatever happens in football after that, that's me happy. Done. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed your um, company, Jamie. I've just got a few um, quick-fire questions, as we call them, the slow-fire questions um, to, to round off. So, um, first of all, what's your favourite beer? Beramere. A good choice. Um, we like our pie chat in the podcast. Um, what? Who? Do, apart from local view, where's the best uh, football pie? Oof. And what flavour? That's a that's a good question. Uh, we, we, we do a steak and haggis pie that's that's tremendous. Um, God, uh, that's a really good question. I actually tend to know buy a pie when I go away from home. To be honest with you, I never really have. Um, uh, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Arbroath because I did have one at Arbroath years ago and it was a steak pie with brilliant so I'll give Arbroath a, a bit of credit for there But as a chief executive who you wouldn't be paying for pie surely I've, I've also been a fan of many grounds as well so I've, I've, <laughs> sure. I've been and paid, paid for my pies but um, aye, so Arbroath just sneak it from what I remember Yeah and staying in food um, what would your death row meal be? Oh Christ that is a that's a really tough question <laughs> no, that's a really tough question. I, I I love Mexican food to be honest. I just love all Mexican food. I like spice. Um so I don't know what it would be, but it'd be something Mexican probably or a really good curry, a really good Indian curry. Not quite sure what one I'd go for. Nice. Curry sounds good. Um I think um, we've obviously been talking a lot about Tatanami. Um chips, um what would be in your bucket list? I suppose you're, you're, you're maybe um, been a bit ambitious here, but I sort of love to go and see Scotland play in Brazil. You know, I think it would be, I think it would be tremendous. They're, 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 you know, they are the best at football. They have been the best at football. Uh, you know, history tells you that. So I think to go and watch Scotland play in Brazil in some tournament in the future would be would be you know pretty amazing. Yeah, the only time was um, since night it was that game down at the Emirates. That was a great trip to be fair. I love the Emirates Stadium. Yeah, it would have, have to be in Brazil for me. I'd actually have to want to actually see us in Brazil. You know, yeah. no, no, no play down in London, you know, a, a genuine trip over the Brazil. <laughs> That's very true. Um, what's your, what's um, been your um, favourite and least favourite Scotland strips from your time? Oh, um, the, 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 the pinstripe one wasn't great. Um, Trying to think what you're asking. The feeler one. Probably Bertie Vokes era. Yes, the Vokes feeler strip. Um, that was pretty horrendous to be if you uh, my, my favourite I'll be honest it might have just been because it was my first tournament and, and stuff but you were 96 with the tartan mm-hmm. the tartan number in you 96 was, was, was my favourite yeah that's that's an epic top that um, I, do, I do love that one um, what's been what's your favourite away ground um, that you've been to in Scotland and why so I've, I've, I've been to 
every round in Scotland. I think there's only four or five I've not been to. So I am in a good place here to actually be able to answer this question. Um, what ground do I really like? I, I, like I'm actually, I, I like the, the older school grounds. Um, so, yeah. uh, you know, if, I'm, if I was picking, I would actually really like Somerset Park. I just think there's something about Somerset yeah. Park. It's just a proper old school ground. Um, so I would, I would maybe pick that because you, you can go for the big grounds, but the big grounds, ultimately, they're, they're very modern these days. I, I like terracings and I like the kind of old school. So I'll, I'll give... Uh, I give Air United my vote on that one. Where's the first place you aim to go to after lockdown? Does it sound bad if I just say the pub? Is that is it's fine? Is <laughs> the pub? I'll, I'll just say the pub because I'll be honest with you. You know, you miss just just going and having a couple of pints. You know, you do miss right. that. I certainly miss that. So yeah, I'm just going to say the pub. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people's choices, to be fair, um, the health-conscious country that we are. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll round off. Um, you knew this was coming. Name the best Scotland eleven from your lifetime. So I, this is the only thing I did a bit of preparation on because I thought, God, I didn't want to miss somebody who I, who I really liked over the time. So here we go. So Craig Gordon and goals. Um, quite a tough one between him, Marshall and McGregor. I think they've all been mm. great, but uh, Craig Gordon pips it for me. Jim Leighton, thinking back, I was never, I was never a huge Jim Leighton fan. Andy Gorham didn't get a game for some reason, even though he was better than Jim Leighton. So I'm going to go uh, with Craig Gordon, uh, Jackie McNamara for right back. I know Alan Hutton played like seven thousand matches for Scotland, but <laughs> I, I just personally um, didn't think he was that good a player. But fair play, I mean, he, he did put in some decent performances. But Jackie McNamara, right back, middle of defence, Colin Hendry. Must just be in it. He just has yeah. to be in it. Simple as that. Um, and then I'm going to pick Christian Daly purely because of uh, who he is and the uh, you know uh, singing songs about him, which I can't repeat on this podcast. And also um, his outburst against the Germans uh, in the interview that he had after the, the Germany away game was was priceless. Left back, um, it's a very recent one. This one, but I think he's the best we've produced for a long time. Kieran Tierney, in my opinion, is is going to be. One of the all-time great Scotland players. Um, I think great. he's one of the best left backs in the world as we speak already, and he's only going to get better. So I know he's recent. I know he's only had, you know, a, a dozen appearances that he's had. But Kieran Tierney's my my left back. Middle of the park becomes the most a real challenge. We've had some real good players middle of the park, but I'm going to go with a middle three of Darren Fletcher, who. I could never understand why people didn't give Dan Fletcher the credit. I think they expected him to turn up because he's a Man United player and, and just win games on his own. Darren Fletcher was an outstanding player for Scotland and also a proper Scot when it mattered to him. It really mattered to him. So Darren Fletcher... Yeah, he's um, sick. Better go to Liechtenstein. How many others would do that? Exactly. Scott Brown, I thought Scott Brown for four or five years was was, was Scotland's best player. In fact, without Scott Brown for a period there, we were, we were really struggling. He was a proper leader, leader and captain. John Collins is the next one. Uh, I'll never forget, I'm scoring the penalty against uh, mm-hmm. uh, Brazil. We're running away to the Scotland fans. I mean, I, I wish I'd been there. God, that would have been special. Um, so John Collins was a tremendous football player. And then my front three is uh, is, is, is Kenny. So by the time Ali McCoyst, etc., a game was, was probably Ali McCoyst a wee bit older by the time I was properly getting into football. So so I'm going to go with Kenny Miller through the middle because I mean that guy for the amount of effort he put in for Scotland, the amount he you know the amount he ran and just everything he did, he was he just played like a like a football like a fan a Scotland fan. He just cared so much about the team. McFadden, obviously don't really need to give a much explanation there. And Sean Maloney on the other side. Yeah. Um, I think Sean Maloney's in purely for the goal against Ireland. I think I'll just put him in purely for that. So 
So that's it. And I've, I've got a couple on the bench. I'm going to chuck a bench into you as well. Paul Lambert, Craig Burley, mm-hmm. Stephen Fletcher, Alan Hutton gets on the bench, Stephen A. Smith and Snoddy. That's a, that's a pretty good team. Then one question I forgot to ask. Um, there will probably be a song of some sort. Who would be your artist of choice to sing the Euro um, 2020 song for Scotland? <laughs> well, they need to get Bakara involved. They need to get her involved in some capacity. They need to bring I'm that sure bring, bring, bring them yeah. over. So get get the get them over, and then and then you know I don't know. I would like to see a a, a compilation. I would like to see a number of different Scottish artists involved in that. So you know, recent people like Lewis Capaldi, but let's actually you know let's see if if, if we can get other older, shall we say, Scottish bands in and 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 just have a compilation, but with Bakara at the front and centre of it. That sounds really good shout, Jamie. That's perfect. So now, listen, thank you very much for your time. And uh, as I say, all the best for Stenishmere um, for the rest of the season. Um, hope you get back to playing football soon. Hope you get um, some of your fans back. And um, I hope you um, get yourselves in the playoff because I've predicted you in the playoff in the back of speaking to Davey, so I've got faith in you. Let's hope so. Right, we'll, we'll, um, we'll not let you down. I'll make sure Davey knows he's not going to let you down. So <laughs> thanks a lot, everyone. I appreciate yeah, it. And the, all the groups with, with, with the podcast, thanks for having us on no and for worries. taking the time to, to learn a little bit more about Stennis Muir. And for those that are still, are still listening after all this time at the end of the podcast, thanks for listening. No, thank you very much, Jamie. It's our pleasure. Take care. Okay.